corner, slice it on the other way, base hit! That ties the game! Alonso in, Fires to get the third, it's kicked by Alonso! Here comes Fires! Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Shea Station podcast, the newest Mets podcast brought to you by John Boy Media. We got a lot to talk about today, some off-season stuff, some series recaps, a couple Q&A stuff, which is pretty cool. Uh, I'm one of your co-hosts. You might know me as Jolly. You might know me as Jack. And joining me, as always, is the lefty specialist, Jerry Blevins. Jerry, we didn't really get it done this week, did we? We did not. We got something done. It just wasn't done in our favor. That's for sure. Yeah, one thing got done. It just wasn't positive, I guess. We have, <laughs> yeah. we have our answers now, I think. I think so too. I think, uh, I think it's pretty much kind of laid itself out in front of us and, and we're here, but we still get to watch baseball. We still get to talk about baseball. And if we get to watch baseball, we're supposed to smile, right? I was going to say, you sound like Pete Alonso there. I didn't want to call it out right in the middle. We're supposed to <laughs> smile. So I'm going to smile. Yeah. We're going to keep it light today. Like we know, like the Mets lost five in a row. They lost some pretty crucial games here, but you know, if you've listened to any of Shea Station episodes, you know that we always like to look at the bright side of things and look at things positively and stuff like that. And there are good takeaways here and some interesting topics to go forward with. But yeah, the Mets lost a bunch of games they needed to win to stay alive. And now we're in this position and it's just how baseball goes sometimes. That's the fact you know, there's there's we can harp and dig and, and beat everybody up at the same time. But I'm sure there's various outlets that are going to do that. So we're just going to going to recap and then touch all the other stuff. So we'll, we'll try to yeah. keeping it real, but not, not digging deeper. Yeah. I honestly think I was more frustrated at the West coast losses than I was at these. Cause I think I'm just like numb now, if that makes sense. Like when we were in the 13 game stretch versus the giants and Dodgers, I was so invested because like our playoff hopes were like alive and well, and we were just in first place and all that. And now with these, like, you know, we needed five wins to, you know, stay in it and we didn't get them. And now I'm like, okay, well, you know what? Now I'm thinking about the off season and the off season is going to be pretty exciting. Just saying. So for, for me, it was the, it was the, the losses to Miami oh, that got yeah. me early in the month after that, because we, we still, we played really good baseball through that stretch of West coast games. And we we're starting to like, all right, we did it. We, we made it through. We played good baseball. We got our butts kicked, but we were there. We lost so many one run games. So many. And then we had the, the letdown of, of letting Miami take a series from us. And for me, that was the big punch in the gut. They still fought, they still clawed. Uh, but that was it for me. That was the, that was like the, the one time where I was like, all right, take a step back, look at it as a whole versus like, just keep your head down and work. So yeah, and it's just, you know, the like I read a stat the other day that the Braves have won, like, I think nine of their last 23. Like, they haven't even been playing that well at baseball. But, like, you know, we, we just kind of let them get in front. That's how it goes. Yeah, man. And so it's not, again, it's not over. Crazier things have happened. You saw my tweet the other day. I did. I was actually going to bring that up, believe it or not. Yeah, so it's our, our 2012 Oakland A's team. We were down five games with actually nine to go. And we won on the last day of the season to win the division. So it's possible the feelings on both of those teams are like between the 2021 Mets and the 2012 A's, definitely a different feeling. Oh, yeah. You know, we were we were ascending, you know, climbing that ladder. And it feels like we've kind of stumbled all the way down the hill here. But again, all it takes is is one turnaround, a couple of things to go your way. It's possible. But, you know, we all feel somber about where we are. Somber is a good word to use, I think, there. 
Yeah. Do you remember, were you guys a worst to first team? Am I, am I remembering that correctly? No, because we, uh, I, we, I know that our manager got fired halfway through 2011. Tough. And then we hired Bob Melvin. Nice. And we started to play a different brand of baseball. Uh, so I'm not sure where we finished in 11, but we definitely were bad and then got better. And then going into 2012 was when we really turned it on. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Well, I mean, the Mets, as long as I've been a fan of, I don't think ever been a last place team except for 2020, but I don't care that. But yeah, I mean, again, 2020, who, who cares about that season? Yeah, it's all a blur at this point. So the Mets played the Phillies this week. Uh, they got another weekend series. They had another Sunday night baseball game, back-to-back ones. I can't remember any time that's happened for the Mets. Uh, these are supposed to be primetime games, so I understand why. Uh, the Mets dropped game one of this series, four to three. We got Brandon Nimmo back from the IL after just 13 days. I would have hoped that would have came in the middle of the season, not the tail end. But you know what? You take what you can get. I hope they didn't rush him back. But if it's Nimmo, I'm sure he knows that he's okay and he's dying to get out there. Uh, Taiwan had a decent start. Taiwan Walker. He was pulled after five. He said after the game that he wanted to pitch a little bit more. I think he got pulled at 88 or 89 pitches. Five innings pitch, two earned runs, three strikeouts, three hits, no walks, which was big for uh, Taiwan there. Uh, but yeah, he didn't get the sixth inning there. I kind of didn't hate the pull when it happened, but you want to get more longevity out of these starters at the same time you want to protect them. But now you're getting late in the season. So it's a lot. It's a bit of a juggling act for Louis Rojas at the end of the day. Uh, the Mets loaded the bases against Zach Wheeler in the fourth, made him throw a lot of pitches in that inning, but they only scratched one run, which, you know, is kind of the story of the season with the Mets and uh, the bases loaded. Uh, Luke posted another scoreless inning pitched uh, in the first game. He lowered his ERA to 1.03. It's going to get lower once we get to game three, which is really exciting. But uh, Lugo and Brad Han had bad outings again, and the Mets rallied in the eighth inning, got within one run, and then they lost uh, four to three. That's how uh, game one went. And then uh, game two was a little bit more of the same. More of the same. We got a, a solid start from Cookie Carrasco, uh, but he gave up a, a, a run in the, the first, which he's been doing. I don't know what, what he needs, needs to happen, um, but he pitched well. He went six innings, gave up two runs. Both earned runs come from a Gene Segura home run. Uh, the Mets ultimately, ultimately lose five to three. We had a great outing uh, from Nimmo's second game back. He went two for four with uh, or two hits. He had a triple and a homer. Um, great to see him back. He's a spark plug. He made a, a really good diving play in center field to, to rob uh, a run off the board. Uh, but the Mets lose five in a row here at this point, five to three. Uh, Brad Hand has a, a rough go of it in the seventh inning, um, but we got multiple hits from Pete Alonzo, Nemo, as I said, but uh, they never really fought back. And we actually lose by two instead of one, which was uh, kind of felt better. It was nice to change it up a little <laughs> bit, honestly. It was nice to get a different loss in there. <laughs> and then uh, the finale of the series, the Mets actually took. They snapped their five-game skid. They won on uh, Sunday Night Baseball again. I found a really fun stat this morning. The Mets won back-to-back Sunday Night Baseball games, and they've won five straight Sunday games. So I think we only win on Sunday now. That's just kind of our team. It's our identity at this point. Uh, Rich Hill has basically been the second best starter for the Mets for like a month now, which I didn't think was going to be a thing, but he turned in another pretty decent start, almost got through five there, struck out seven Phillies. His curve was working. I think he threw a 69 mile per hour fastball is what ESPN showed. I'm not sure if they just broke <laughs> or if that was the truth, but uh, Rich Hill has been really entertaining to watch. I don't know if he'll be back. This might be his last season because he's, I think, 43 or 44 years old. But I, I think he's just... going to play. He wants to play forever. It's up he's to an him ageless wonder. again. I love it. I love it. He's not ageless. He's definitely, he's definitely getting old and he knows it, he could be but like he did. A, yeah. I think he, 
Go ahead, sorry. He had a knock. He had he a did. knock. He had a nice. He looked knock. like he was gonna. He looked like he was gonna try to steal a bag there too, which I thought was really funny. He got like a big secondary, and then he ended up advancing on a pass ball. But, but uh, he looks spry. I'm impressed. I have been impressed. You know, I, again, Rich Hill and I go way back. Um, right. To the odds, as the kids say. No, no kids say that. Just old people <laughs> like me say that. Um, he was in the Cubs organization when I was really young, and he was an ascending like a, just a uh, a stud on, in the rotation. And to see him come full circle, man, he gets it done. Yeah. He, look what Wainwright's doing. Wainwright's putting together one of the best seasons of his career at a time where he's just figured out how to to pitch with less stuff, lesser stuff, and so. I like Rich Hill. I think that curveball is going to play as long as he can throw it. And he drops his arm angle. He mixes it up. He's going to give you solid innings, man. Yeah, man. Yeah, even if he doesn't get like a starter spot, I could totally see him being one of these like two inning bullpen guys because he always starts out really nice first time through the order. Uh, that was the story in this game too. He has a 2.49 ERA in four September starts this year. So the Mets like, you know, for the trade they pulled off with the Rays, I'd, I'd say that's a pretty good victory there. Uh, they definitely need a fifth starter in this rotation. And Dom Smith had a nice hit which is really cool. A pinch hit game tying two run double. Uh, he has just two extra base hits since August 25th. So that was really nice to see. And then uh, the story of this game for me was Jeff McNeil. Finally uh, finding his pop here, launched a home run off Kyle Gibson in the seventh inning. It was a no doubter uh, went about like 415 feet. He went two for three in the game. His first home run since August 1st, I think it was just his seventh on the year. So it's been a dry year power wise for McNeil, but this was a huge hit one that he really needed. I think to boost his confidence a little bit. Hopefully he can finish the season strong. And then in our first couple goes of this podcast, it seemed like every episode we were talking about how fantastically solid the bullpen has been. And they faltered in recent uh, in recent starts and at recent games. But in this game, it was really nice to see them return to form. Familia, May, Lugo, Loop, and Diaz combined for four and a third scoreless innings pitch. They held the Phillies at bay, protected the one-run lead. Aaron Loop's ERA after an inning in third is now 1.00 the lowest ERA for a Met after 15 innings pitched in their franchise's history. And Diaz got his 30th save, the seventh 30 save season uh, from a Mets closer ever. Uh, the most recent one was Jerry's Familia, had that uh, 50 save season in 2016. The Mets finally took a game, snapped the five-game skid, and uh, I think they improved to 73 and 77. We can, we can scoreboard watch, we can standings watch, but I think it's at the end of the day, it's just nice to see this team win a game they should win. Yeah, you talked about it. You highlighted it for me. So we got uh, a big contribution from Dom, which was great to see, and McNeil with the go-ahead home run. Those two are the two guys that we were counting on a lot in the beginning of the season that didn't really, amongst a lot of people, didn't really step up to the levels we were expecting. Um, so it was nice to see them chip back in and, and show, you know, us, you know, who they are. Not that they need to show us anything because they're in the big leagues, but it was nice for us to see that. Uh, Dom has looked good at the plate and pitch hitting again. It's not hard or it's not the easiest job to do to come off the bench. And he's done a really good job of it. Uh, and then McNeil's power. That wasn't even a bad pitch that was down and away. He doesn't normally try to try to pull that, but he showed some pop and I, it was good to see. Yeah, it really was. And it just goes to show like how different this season could have been had guys like McNeil and Dom played like this consistently through the whole season. I mean, JD Davis got a start. He went over three struck out. And I think, you know, even if you get one of these guys to have a standard season, like a McNeil typical season or Dom's 2020, the whole outlook of the season and the whole, like not coming up in big spots, that all changes. And maybe you grab a few more wins. So at this point, it's kind of just like a, a nice sign for maybe 2022, 
But, you know, wins like these are nice to see, uh, to see other guys that are considered forgotten on the Mets bench and the Mets roster really step up and play a role in the offense. So at least we have that at the at the very least. And uh, we had some nice performances here. Pete bounced back after a pretty dismal uh, Subway Series and St. Louis Series. He had three hits and a walk. Uh, Lindor added a double and an RBI. Javi Baez went three for 10, drew two more walks. And the, ho- the legend of Javi Baez becoming an on-base god uh, continues in New York because uh, Sarah Lang, who does great work on uh, in her field. She's uh, awesome. She's like one of the best. Uh, tweeted out something incredible today. Uh, eight walks in the last 10 games for Javi. That's the most in any 10-game span of his career. How much influence do you think like Hugh Quattlebaum or the Mets coaching staff has had on Javi's approach? Uh, I really think it's 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 got to be either, some something got into his head because he has really changed his approach. He's he's maximizing what he does, and it's it, it's awesome to see. I hope he consistently continues to do it. I think that's the gamble because this this brand of Javi Baez is the best version of him that I think is is that he's capable of doing without completely going away from the fundamentals of what what makes him him. I, I think it, it's probably a, a mix of hearing people's voices. It might just be Lindor across the way saying, hey, man, this is what you need to look for. Or it just might be his, his him in himself, his personal hitting coach, whatever the case may be. Something has changed for the positive. Uh, not, that, not that it was bad, but if he becomes a better on-base guy and starts drawing those walks, he, he elevates his status, his impact on games exponentially. It's awesome to see. The Lindor idea definitely popped in my head because like you could you could argue Mets hitting coaches, but we've had two this year and we've had a pretty inept offense. So I don't know if it's exactly that, but whether whether or not it's that Javi is continually uh, driving up his value in free agency every day by becoming an on base threat, which is basically the one piece that's been missing from his game his entire career. You look at Javi's numbers and, you know, his slugging is obviously fantastic, but his OPS numbers aren't great because that OBP is always hovering around that 300, 310 area. With the Mets, it's above 380 right now, which is a stark difference from the rest of his career. A seven and a half walk percentage is by far the highest of his career. So, I mean, Javi's changing his game. I'm hoping it's because of Lindor and that makes him want to stay a little bit more and hopefully strike a deal with the Mets because... This is the best version of Javi I've ever seen. I'm not going to lie. When we first traded for him, I was obviously excited because it's a big trade for a big player, but I was definitely wary because this wasn't exactly the answer to what the Mets needed outside of a guy that can really hit lefty pitching. It wasn't a guy that gets on base consistently. It's another guy that slugs that was kind of having an inconsistent season. But ever since he came here, he's put up suspicious numbers and it's just been incredible to watch every night. It's made the Mets much more tolerable. I couldn't agree more. I think whatever, whatever the case may be, whatever helped him, lock into this or if it's fluky whatever he needs to do he needs to bottle this up and and that needs to be his goal because he is a he's already a great player this puts him into that upper echelon because you can count on him more to be on base to take that walk to put a little bit more pressure on that defense because he's amazing on the base paths as we've seen and so the more you can get him on base the the less strikeouts the better he's going to be so whether it's you know the hitting coaches and Quattlebaum or you know, his dad calling him and being like, Hey, stop swinging at everything. You know, whatever the case is, this is, this is a great, great player. And if this is like who he's going to be going in, I wonder if people are going to try to steal him on the open market and pay him for who he was and get this big, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like it's exciting because he's, he's, he's a difference maker at this level. 
Yeah. And like the offseason brings a lot of questions for the Mets. There's a ton of middle infielders available on the market. Javi is just one of them, but he's rising through the class uh, more so every day. Another guy that's hit in the market that I think the Mets need to make a top priority uh, is Aaron Loop. And Aaron Loop has once again doubled down on his comments from uh, a week ago, saying that he wants to come back to the Mets. Uh, in a quote from his post game yesterday, he said, I'd love to come back. I've had a blast playing here. I've had fun with the guys all year long, and I've had a great year. So I see no reason not to, which is the exact thing you want to hear from the guy that has basically had the best reliever season in Mets history. You know, I've commented many times on this podcast that I'm one of the more younger Mets fans. So I've pretty much never seen a rock solid Mets bullpen in my life, maybe aside from like 2015, obviously, you know, Jerry was hanging out there. So it makes perfect sense. But uh, I mean, I did put together the perfect season. It was a perfect season. I did contribute. People seem to forget all the time. Like it never gets mentioned. (laughs) Small sample size. Yeah. But, you know, we take it anyway. But Loops had one of the best years in Mets history, as we said many times. He's currently on a steal of a deal. One year, $3 million. I'm sure he's going to get more. But have you ever, like, I wanted to ask you, because I know sometimes players who are, like, high-profile free agents kind of, like, hide their feelings, just, you know, protect negotiations and stuff like that. You don't want to say, I'm definitely coming back to this team and then get a new deal from a new team. Be like, oh, maybe I want to go there. Have you ever been sought after by a team that you've been on and like sort of communicated that in the middle of the season rather than just like in off-season negotiations? Well, uh, you would never want to say, I, I don't see, I've never been a part of a guy that said like, I don't want to come back. Yeah. Have you, I've never heard that anywhere. It's if you're if you're going to say that you're eliminating, you know, a negotiating tool I'm like, well, he did. A, he had a great year. He could just always go back. And so it, even if it's not what he believes, you have to say it. But he does believe this. Like you can see it. You can feel it. That's a, like I said, that that clubhouse is a good place. Uh, and Aaron Loop is a is a major part of that. The guy is super cool, like super chill, such a pro uh and he's had a, a the best year of his career of course he wants to come back it's it's he's he wants to be there he deserves to get paid it'll be interesting you know he's not you know he's not 27 28 anymore he's 33 going to be 34 next season it means nothing in the grand scheme of you know lefty relievers because he could put together he could figure it out as he has his stuff hasn't diminished one bit um so it'll it'll be interesting. I, I hope the Mets go after him because he's a key piece. He's done incredibly well, but he's also set the bar super high. So yeah, about as high as it gets. Yeah, so I was gonna say about as high as it gets. Like it doesn't get much better than what Aaron Loop has done this season. I got to imagine it's gonna be a multi-year deal, double figures rather than the three million deal. But uh, he has the lowest ERA in MLB for pitchers with at least fifty innings pitch. There's been no one better. Uh, the second best, Jacob Degrom, one point oh eight, right behind him. So. Just goes to show. I know it's like a little twist of the knife there. I saw that in your notes, and that that's two things that that made me feel. It's let me repeat it again. Of pitchers in the MLB with at least fifty innings pitched, Aaron Loop has the lowest ERA with a one, and Jacob Degrom has the second lowest with a one hundred eight. Imagine how good Jacob Degrom was, and his impact that he had, and it feels like he hasn't pitched in three years just because of the emotions. Um, and that, that shows you the difference between how good Aaron Loop is and the effect he's had on our season, and then the impact that a starting pitcher, like an ace, has on your season because he still qualifies in that and how, how incredible he was doing. And so it made me miss Jacob DeGrom, little little twist of the night, but it also shows you how good 
Aaron Loop has been, and it's been fantastic. Yeah, and like you see, like you know, the two hundred inning pitch guys, like we saw Zach Wheeler hit that mark uh, earlier in the series, and like it kind of diminishes the fifty inning mark. But fifty innings pitch is a lot of games in one season, and Aaron Loop has just been consistent basically since May at this point. You know, so and he's, I, he's done so in different roles. He opened. Uh, he's coming in, in, in one batter little chunks where we are always, everybody's fighting for him to pitch more. He's thrown in multiple innings now a bunch. He's done it in so many different ways, which it's hard to get into a routine. And we're creatures of routine. We're habit. You have to be able to be ready. And for him to do that early, later, middle of the game for longer periods of time, like, again, super impressive. I'm super happy for him. And he deserves to get uh, some money. So I hope he gets what he deserves out there. And I would love to see him back in the Mets, Mets uniform. Absolutely. And well, one guy that has not made it quite as clear as Aaron Loop as to what he wants to do this offseason is another fantastic, uh, fantastic pitcher on our roster. And that's Marcus Stroman, uh, who is entering free agency with a pretty stacked starting pitcher class. Uh, we saw some early speculation last week that Stroman's contract could land anywhere in the realm of a six-year uh, six year deal at $20 million annual value. That's totaling a $120 million contract for a starting pitcher. Bear in mind, Stroman's young and he's having one of the better seasons in his career, arguably the best. Uh, his 2.88 ERA is seventh in the National League. His 3.27 fielding and a pigeon, independent pitching is eighth. And then his 1.15 whip is 15th. Uh, he's in that top echelon of National League starters and they've had a pretty good year in the National League. And he's in a class with guys like Max Scherzer, Zach Granke, Robbie Ray, who might win Cy Young. Carlos Rodano threw a no-hitter, Kevin Gaussman, who's had a resurgent uh, season with the Giants. So it's kind of unclear, like, what his payday will look like. You really have to gauge it basically on what other guys earn because, you know, you have these elite guys, these names that have been to the playoffs every year and have had these fantastic performances. But the one thing that Stroman has given the Mets that I think they've lacked all year in basically every aspect of their game is consistency. We've had, we've had a very streaky roster uh, full of guys with really great peaks and really bad values. And Marcus Stroman has been right there on his game every start of the season, pretty much the entire way. There's been no blowups. It's always about six innings, five innings, and then two earned runs. And he gives you exactly what you need every time to go out and try and get a win. And I think that there's a value in that in of itself, whether he's like, you know, throwing perfect games and complete games or whatever. If I can get the same quality start every time out from one of my fifths or one of my five guys, that's really valuable to me in my opinion. So I'm just curious as to what you think Stroman should earn and like where you rank him in this class full of these elite guys and stuff like that. First of all, I think Marcus Stroman is an amazing pitcher. I think you, you hit the nail in the, on the head because it's consistency. It's reliability, having him roll out there every fifth day and knowing that you're going to get five, six, seven innings with two runs or less is, is enormous because it takes a lot of pressure off of the bullpen it takes a lot of pressure off the offense because they don't have to put up, you know, 10, 15 runs. And it takes a lot of pressure off the front office and coaching staff because they don't have to worry about every single day. They know every fifth day they can kind of take a step back and shuffle up and take a bigger picture look at, you know, how their rotation is holding up. Uh, he's been so valuable for the Mets. He, he really, he really has stepped up. They've been using de facto ace, but he was that. He was the de facto ace. Anytime you're on a team with Jacob DeGrom, you're going to be not the ace. It's just simple as that. I don't care if you're Max Scherzer, Walker, Bueller. Jacob DeGrom is the guy because he's the best at it. But Stroman, you know, has been so consistent, so valuable, so such like a steadying force for this 
rotation that he's it's more than numbers it's that that it's that knowing that you're going to get something that feels good as a as on a team so when you look at it on paper it's really fantastic what he's done statistics wise but the feeling that he gives you as as an organization is is i think just as valuable so I think that's a good point to make, honestly. And you mentioned with having Jacob deGrom on the team, it's hard to be the number one because he's the best on the planet at what he does. Do you think that like factors in at all? Do you think like Stroman wants to be the ace of a team that might influence his decision in a way? Or do you think he just wants to win? I, I, do, I can't speak for Stroman and I, I won't do that. I don't know him that well, but I can tell you it does make a difference for certain guys. Like um, I think the, I, I'll give you an example. I think the best thing that happened to Steven Strasburg's career was when the Nats signed Max Scherzer because Strasburg is a, is a super calm, you know, not a, not a big vocal guy and Scherzer is, and it took all the pressure off of being that ace, that number one, that driving force, that team captain. And it let Scherzer, it let uh, Strasburg be himself. So he was able to just take a step back and just do his thing and let Scherzer run away with it. Um, and he was better for it. Uh, so if Stroman wants to be the ace, he's going to have to go elsewhere. I don't, I don't see that him being a factor. I think he just wants to be on a good team and, and get paid what he deserves and, and try to win some ball games. Um, but it does. Some guys have an ego uh, that need to be the alpha and he's not going to be that with, with Jacob deGrom here again, I don't think it's a deal for Stroman, but a lot of guys don't want to be second fiddle and they want to be able to strut around the clubhouse knowing that they're, they're the best. And when you see the best on the planet in the same clubhouse, you can't really strut that big. Yeah, that's definitely fair. I mean, Stroh's saying nothing but praises for DeGrom all season. So this is entirely speculation in this discussion. Uh, But no, yeah, I could definitely see how that's a factor. I think it's just like a, a factor of like, how you gauge their competitiveness. Like, are you competitive in the fact that you want your team to win? You want to get to the playoffs? Or are you competitive in the fact that you want to be, you know, one of the most widely recognized pitchers in the league? And, you know, both can happen at the same time. It's just a matter of where you end up. So Stroh has a lot of things he needs to think about uh, as this season continues to wind down. But the fact of the matter is he's going to be one of the most highly paid starting pitchers on this market. He He's young too. Yeah. He's stacked. He's got youth. Yeah. Let's see. What's what? How old is he right now? I believe 30, 30. Okay. I was going to say 20, 30. So yeah. So he's got, he's got youth on his side compared to Scherzer, Greenkey, those guys. And uh, he's got less wear and tear on his arm from the 2020 season. I, I like him. I hope, I hope uh, the Mets try to go after him and I hope he gets what he deserves elsewhere. If he doesn't get, get what the Mets want. Also an important factor is he might win a gold glove this year. And I feel like that's got to, you know, help his case a little bit, right? Come on. He's got to win a gold glove, right? Like, I, I can't think of anyone else who deserves it more. I don't watch a lot of highlights of, of pitchers, you know, but he's made multiple highlights. He's been consistent. He's done some amazing things. Uh, I mean, he just deserves it for the highlight reel. I think Rawlings understands that. So we'll see. And like I, most of those came in the second half when DeGrom went down. I feel like he just really like stepped up and emerged from the number two shadow there. So it's been a joy to watch him this season. I hope he's back. Uh, for the right price, but the Mets have a lot of questions to answer with this rotation. Uh, they have Cookie for another year, and we saw a nice start from him. He's slowly starting to to creep up and get into a group of things because you got to remember he came in in the middle of the season, basically had spring training in some huge Mets games in August. 
Uh, but he's starting to, you know, settle down a little bit. Taiwan has found his form again. I think he's getting his confidence back. That's probably why he wanted that sixth inning. He's back for another year. And uh, hopefully Jacob deGrom and Thor will be 100%. So then you have a, a bunch of options here. You have David Peterson, who's recovering from injury. You have Tyler McGill, who has been a little overworked this season, but I'm sure he still has the stuff and probably will start fresh next year. You have Cookie, DeGrom. So you have six guys that are pretty formidable that can enter this rotation next year. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you shouldn't go after a Marcus Stroman type or a Kevin Gossman or any of these other guys. So it's just going to be interesting. I hope that the Mets rotation is as formidable as it has been in the past because that's really what has carried this team uh, to their really successful seasons. But we're to be soon. They have options. They're going to add no matter what. Uh, with depth and those young guys are going to the, with options are going to be the ones that have to go down if if that is the the case but again it depends on what you're trying to do next year are you trying to win a world series because you're going to need more pitchers so that's why we talked about the front office openings and and what they're trying to do there um but those are the decisions that need to be made now because then that affects who you're signing you know that, that's a trickle down from from philosophy and, and what you're trying to do as a, as an organization. So, I mean, you mentioned Mets front office and the, the stove on that, the hot stuff continues to sizzle a little bit. John Heyman tweeted something again earlier this week, the Mets are quote unquote, aiming very high for their open baseball president job. And the leading candidates include, as we mentioned last episode in great detail, Billy Bean, uh, Theo Epstein is still on that list. David Stearns is still on that list and one or two others as reported by Heyman. So it's a short list but it's a stacked list as at that. But I think the most important thing is what you mentioned before is to get this deal done soon. Don't have them sort of thrust in after you've already signed some guys or made some decisions, let them start with a blank sheet kind of thing. Like let them make the decisions that, you know, fit their system the best in that way. Yeah, it should be interesting. The, the Mets have enough pieces coming back automatically. There'll be like qualifying offers sent out with, you know, Thor. I think he'll get a qualifying offer. Yeah. I don't see why not because he's going to be worth, I don't even know if he'll take it coming off of literally a season when he's not going to pitch. I'm trying to, I'm trying to sign him to a multi-year if I'm, if I'm another team. So I don't know what's going to happen. But yeah. But he's going to get a qualifying offer. Conforto is Stroman already had one. Can't get another one. Yeah. Right? I don't think he can get another one. Okay. Uh, we're, we, we've got some guys coming back we got some guys leaving um those decisions will be made before they hire a front office guy but just simply because of logistics it won't happen in timeline but they need to they need to figure out the pecking order of who's the decision makers um first so it should be should come soon let's hope but uh who knows there's come there's competitiveness for players and there's competitiveness for front office and it's going to be some fireworks, man. It's going to be interesting what draws these people in. So this will definitely be a fun off-season podcast, which is going to be nice. It's going to be a loaded, like, m- few months just full of important decisions that will define the next couple of years. So I'm hoping it goes well, but definitely remains to be seen. That's it. These, these huge decisions to be made are going to be made like we have no idea when. There's no deadline for that stuff, but it'll be fun, man. It'll be a, a lot of action happening. Well, speaking of important off-season decisions, I'm going to do a quick little smooth segue here. But normally people, when they do smooth segues, they don't say they're doing a segue. So I kind of already ruined it a little bit. 
But uh, we're bringing back Q&A because we don't want to talk about how bad the Mets have been. So we figure let's hear from the fans that have been listening every day. Shout out you guys uh, for really uh, attaching yourselves to the pod early on. We appreciate it. We got a great question on Twitter from a guy named at Kyle underscore F11. And uh, Jerry highlighted this one and I wanted to highlight it as well because I think it's important and kind of not talked about enough with how many questions are circling the Mets in this coming offseason. He asked us, how much should the Mets pay Brandon Nimmo this offseason? I think an extension should be at the top of the list along with guys like Marcus Stroman and Aaron Loop. And I wholeheartedly agree after the season that Brandon Nimmo has had. I agree completely. Like this is, this is, we haven't touched base because it's not an expiring contract. He doesn't need anything coming in, but I, if I am making the decisions, Brandon Nimmo is the guy I attack. I'm trying to sign him because of what he does is so valuable for your team. He is an on-base machine. Not only will he do this for your team, he's played great center field. Like people, we tried to go after George Springer in the free agent market because of how bad he was in center field. But he, that, I feel like that was an anomaly. He's played very, very acceptable center field. That's awesome. He gets on base a ton. His power started to peak and come back. He hit a really big home run this past series. Um, his legs are fresh, but he's always going to give you those at-bats, those consistent at-bats. He has from the day he stepped on a big league field when he was pinch hitting. His exact same approach is today what it was in 2015 when he did that, or 2016. 2016, I think. 2016 or 2017, one of those. I care. Either either way. I remember, so when I broke my arm and was in Port St. Lucie in 2015, he was rehabbing down there as well. Um, Again, that's one of the things. So I remember meeting him. I don't remember. It's like a blur when you're this old. But but (laughs) he's been that exact same guy at the plate. And he's only going to get better because he's going to get smarter because he's just developing and learning and gaining experience. He's the target I go for. So Kyle F11, um, I lock him up and I try to do it long. Because the the DH is coming, it's inevitable, uh, and that'll help him because he can get off days from center field or or whatever the case may be. That gives your team flexibility, uh, and I just love his style of of baseball. It's gonna he's gonna draw in other big free agent hitters because they know he's gonna be on base. It's just such a team friendly approach to the way he plays baseball that it helps everybody else around him, and I'm all for it. And I'm signing him up. I'm giving him everything I can. And I'm trying to do it now before he has a chance to, to think about numbers from another team. Well, that's, yeah, you made two really important points there. One is that it's a team-minded decision because it does influence guys that are hitting three or four or five in the order if Nimmo's on base half the time. You don't find these 400 OBP guys on the market all the time. Nimmo is a very special case and he's not available to everyone yet. He's only available to you. So I feel like that must influence the decision a little bit. I also wanted to highlight that, you know, Nimmo gives 110% on everything. He sprints to first base on walks. We know that by now. And I think that does affect the wear and tear of his body during a season. So I think that DH coming in and giving him abilities, you know, giving him the opportunity rather to have a day off every time or once a week in there, it will make a huge difference in his game. So the only thing that's been sort of a wary mark with Nimbo this season has been the injuries, but I think it's just because he's going full effort all the time. And now he's playing center every time. So that definitely affects his game as well. But I think that, you know, getting him on long-term, like on a cheap deal 
and sort of arguing that case or whatever will be really important to the Mets. And it's, it's another one of these guys that I feel like he doesn't want to leave New York. I feel like he loves playing here. You can see it on his face. He's not the type to try and hide that in the first place at all. Um, and the Mets have some off outfield questions to answer. And I think, you know, addressing center field and locking that down first is probably the most important thing they can do here. So I'm, I'm all for a Brandon Nemo extension. And I think it's one of the more likely things to get done versus a Conforto extension where, you know, there are a lot of more holes to jump through and stuff like that. So I think that being a top priority along with loop uh, is important to me as well. Uh, we got another good question from at not a bot or a burner on Twitter. This one's for you specifically, Jerry. We got a lot of four Jerry questions, which does make sense. You know, I didn't play in the bigs. I only made it to like single A, <laughs> I think. That's uh, pretty good though. Yeah, that's not bad. At least I made it. Uh, can Jerry describe how players act around their teammates that are in a slump or have just blown a game? Because it's got to be weird being in a clubhouse where you've been in first for 100 days and then you sort of had this dismal end to a season. But there are guys that are still performing well and guys that have just been slumping their way through it. So have you ever been in that position before? I've been in all, every position you could think of. I've been terrible. I've blown a game to where I literally cost the team the game. Uh, and I've had a rough patch of it. And so those are two different approaches. The one, if you, if you just blow a game, like it, it depends on the person. Most of the time, a guy's kind of down. You just go up, pat him on the back and just show him that you're there and then just let him be pissed off for the day, for the night, whatever the case may be, and then show up the next day. So this is, this is the bigger one for me. It's, it's how you act around your teammates that are in a slump. I want to be the same guy in the clubhouse, no matter how I'm playing. And I want to portray that for I'm going to treat everybody on the team the same, whether they're hitting 500 or they're in an 0 for 30 streak because I, they're still human beings. They're still my brothers in arms. I want to be around them, show them that, hey, man, you're you don't need to. I don't treat you if you're better, if you're hitting or if you're pitching well, you're just this guy to me. I care about you as a person. So I think you're all about being completely normal to everyone at all times you know they treat themselves their baseball players are their are their own biggest critics and so they're going to dig themselves into a hole it's your job is to find as a teammate is to find subtle ways to help him deal with whatever's going on and, and bring it out um most of the time it's not even like advice you don't want to be like hey i think your hands are going here uh, or you're, you're tipping and you're, you're moving this, you're, you know, whatever the case may be. Most of it's just, Hey man, you're, you're awesome. Don't, don't forget that. Or, Oh, that, that two seamer that you threw was nasty. Just keeping the positivity up really helps, especially when you're around each other for eight straight months every day. Uh, it's important to be uh, a decent human being in those, in those instances, you just want to like, if a guy gives it up and, and he's got a good sense of humor about it and you can laugh about it. Um, that's the best. That's because you get over it because you're going to get mad at me and then we're going to laugh and then you're, you'll be fine. Yeah, there's an important importance to, you know, having a mentality of just go want to know every day and you have to have a short term memory. And you mentioned just, you know, making light of it and like keeping a smile on everyone's face and being the same person you have been the day before. And I feel like that just gets magnified in a New York media where you have to answer these questions every night about like, what went wrong today? Or like, why did you guys lose? It's obviously more intricate than that. But I think the Mets players have kind of gotten clowned a little bit this season for some post-game answers. And that's just bound to happen every season because it's the New York media. But I think, you know, that that's an, imp an important role to play outside of like what you put out on the field is like how you're a teammate and like 
we make fun of clubhouse chemistry all the time because the Mets were praised for it and then they fell apart. <laughs> but I think, you know, this team would be a lot worse off if they didn't have that going in the first place. If they didn't, if they, if they were going after each other's throats, all the above, it would have been horrible. I wanted to add one more thing to the uh, guy that just blew a game or struck out. You, there's, there's certain guys that just destroy a cooler or beat up a trash can or take a bat to their locker. Is that Grant Balfour or no? <laughs> no, that's not Grant Balfour. Oh, it's not. He is the man of rage. Uh, but he 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 was he didn't destroy many things. Uh, but you you definitely want to watch out for that type of person after a game. They're gonna go off, literally blow the steam out, whatever the case may be. Uh, then you show up the next day and treat them just like you do every day. Um, you know, whatever the case may be, but you don't want to be in the, in, in down, you know, down range when somebody's firing off, whatever the case may be. I was going to say, you don't want to be in the crossfire. <laughs> yeah. I've always, I've never, I've never been the blow up guy. I was going to ask you. Yeah. Have you ever broken something? I've, I've definitely that? broken stuff before, you know, uh, a cooler or a trash can that just, sometimes you just need to let it out. There's, I think it's in Milwaukee. There is a uh, a punching bag right outside oh. the as soon as you walk in from the the dugout on your way in pretty sure it's milwaukee but you know you go in there and you do what you got to do um i've always been super aware not to like punch anything with my throwing hand smart hawaskari noah earlier this season on the braves yeah um drew storen did it in washington and i think 16 um but it, those are tough times, man. And so I was always super aware of not hurting myself or hurting my teammates. And I always immediately felt bad because somebody has to clean that up. And so I'm usually cleaning it up. I'll break something be like, oh, sorry, guys, I got this, you know, my bad. Might be Jerry Blevins in How much right is that? There. Put it on my tab. Let me, let me pay for that trash can. I know somebody's got to pay for that. Sorry. <laughs> Did you have like a biggest hothead teammate that that would happen like often with or no? Um, yeah, I mean, I've had, um, uh, I've had, a, a probably three guys that I won't name that are respect, you know, definitely had a, a tab, a running tab on different, especially the division opponents where they would break something in that clubhouse consistently. I've uh, never been a guy that, that stiffed anybody on those tabs. So they always paid for the damage that they made, but you know, everybody runs different, man. If you, if you need to break something, break something, it's better than, you know, your hand, if you're going to break something, break a bat on a, whatever the case may be. Yeah, so please don't punch a brick wall. <laughs> to each their own. We need to learn lessons from this season. <laughs> All right. So we'll, we'll save the rest of the Q and a for our next episode. Cause I'm sure, you know, we'll, we'll have more Mets losses to talk about. Hopefully not. Maybe they'll win every game for the rest of the way. You never know. They're still, they're still, they're still mathematically capable of doing it. And so this is baseball. It's a long history. Somebody's going to do it at some point from this spot. It's it's inevitable. Um, why not? Just keep us? talking about the 2012 A's, man. Five out, ten to go. We're five and a half out, more than ten to go. No, <laughs> guys, true. let's just get hot. <laughs> yeah, and we were chasing down. We were chasing down that year the Texas Rangers, who had just went to the World Series in back to back years, and so you know the Braves aren't playing at that level. They're good, but they're not up there. Neither are the Phillies. And so this might be a tough question to answer. Did you guys have games against the Rangers during that stretch or no? Yeah, we ended the season against them. We beat them 
Oh, okay. Those last three games to just crawl all over him. And the funny, the fun that's I've literally never felt like this before or since it was those last three games. We were on the field in Oakland. We knew that we were going to beat them all three games and they knew that they were, we were going to beat them all three games. And we both knew we like, you could see it in their eyes that we were just like the best ever, but feeling so confident and you can see him like feeling a little bit like these guys are good. And so we took full advantage of it. It's so fun. Do you think the Braves know that we're going to sweep them next week? They probably already know, right? They probably already think that. Well, you, you ha- we'll have to remind them by playing amazing tonight or tomorrow. They got the day off. So starting tomorrow. I mean, you got some tough teams, but if you prove it, you got Red Sox, Brewers, and then Braves. You're going to face nothing but tough teams when you, when you to win a World Series. And so start might as well start now. Well, if they get my hopes up again, I'm going to get mad at them. But until then, uh, we have a nice today in Mets history from just a couple of years ago. Again, September 20th in 2019, Pete Alonso hit his 50th home run of the season against the Cincinnati Reds. He became the first Met with the 50 homer season ever and the second rookie to do it ever since Aaron Judge just a couple of years prior. So that was a nice memory. Pete had another fantastic year this year. I think he's hovering around the 30 range, so not quite the 50 that he got in that crazy 2019 home run year, but still a nice memory to, to look back on. Gary's call on that home run, by the way. I listened to it this morning when I saw the clip. Fantastic, because Gary didn't get to call the uh, the record-breaking home run, the 53, which was a huge bummer. And, you know, we've, we've seen so many amazing Mets moments past few seasons where we just haven't had GKR in the booth, and it's been really sad. So it was nice to hear that at the very least. Yeah, uh, one thing in this season is Pete Alonso has shown me that he's that guy. He's, he's capable of hitting 50 home runs. It wasn't, you know, it was an amazing rookie year, but that's, I've seen guys have an amazing year and then to kind of disappear. And so the 2020 season was kind of a little rough and he's really impressed me this year. I think he's going to continue to be that power hitter in the, in the Mets lineup that we, we need. So he, he really solidified himself as, as that guy for me. He signaled, he signaled that to me during the West Coast stretch where everyone went cold in the lineup except for him. And it was just every night, multi-hit performances, trying to carry that offense and breathe life into them. Uh, so even with this bad stretch in September where they kind of needed him, I, it gets excused for me for just how good of a season Pete has had. That's what you get from a power hitter. That's what you get from a home run hitter. That's why like a guy like Brandon Nimmo means so much to a team because he's going to bring consistent ABs. There's going to be times where Pete's swing is not perfect, and he's going to be exploited, you know, for a little bit, and then he locks it back in. Um, but that's who he is. He's he's a home run hitter, and that's that's I love it. And he also improved his play at first base too, which is nice. Kind of an underrated part of his game this season, so that was cool to see as well. Uh, we're going to go back way in time for Jog and Jerry's memory today. A few years before that insane 2012 uh, division run there. This was back in 2008. You're just your second year in the league. You inherited a bases loaded one out situation against the Mariners. And you got a big ground out from none other than Ichiro Suzuki. So shout out Jerry for that. And then you struck out Unieski Betancourt. Got one more inning right after that. And the A's won that game eight to seven. Do you remember anything from like these early, early A's years? Or is 2012 like the first year you truly remember? No, I remember a lot from those times. Not like this at bat. I have no idea. I don't remember this at bat at all. So that that 2008 year, you know, uh, was my first long stretch. I got called up the September before, then I got called up on the 4th of July and then finished the season in the big leagues. And I had a, a really solid year. Um, that was my first taste of what it means to be in the big leagues for a while. And so I remember the the gist of it pretty amazingly that does remind me so the the year that Aaron Loops put together 
uh, is fantastic. He hit that 50, 50 uh, inning mark. There was a guy that year named Joey Devine that, that pitched for the A's that threw like 45 innings and had like a 0.45 ERA. Really? Whoa. What? Joey Devine. Yeah. He had came, come over from the, the Braves uh, and just did an amazing job because it was like, I remember it was a big deal for the A's because, because Eckersley, I think had the 0.61 or Raleigh fingers had an amazing year, but Joey Devine put together just this incredible run. Absolutely filthy. Um he had some injuries. He had a, a couple of years gone to injury and never really found his form again. But that was that that year reminded me of what Aaron Loop's doing. You know, he's just incredible. Yeah, I mean, my whole thing is remembering these forgotten players from the 2010s, and I've I've never heard of this guy. So you really stumped me here. 2008, 42 games, 45 innings pitched, 0.59 ERA. But then he got injured right after. He didn't pitch again until 2011. Wow. Yep. He had a Tommy, yeah, he had a long stretch, a Tommy John or like two or three surgeries in there to where like he was coming back and then didn't feel the same. It was, it was a rough go for him. Uh, He's a great dude. Uh, Introduced me to my baseball agent, who's a dear friend of mine. I think he's coaching at NC State now, was a player agent for like a a little bit, Uh, just a phenomenal human being. Uh, One of my favorite teammates, Uh, he's a, he's an Atlanta I saw him in Atlanta in 2019. He came to the field because he was a brave, just a, just a legend of a human. And what a season. I'm going to try and get him in a video though. And I feel like I have to at this point, but shout out Joey Devine. Wow. Joey Devine. Uh, I think you'll see one. I think he threw a ball behind Barry Bonds in the playoffs. He was with the Braves at that point as a young fireballer that just let it eat. And he slipped one behind Barry Bonds. Oh, so it wasn't intentional. Hold on. no, uh it wasn't intentional so i think that's why we got him i think he he got a can you he got some of these oh you can't say it though you're not supposed to say yeah it. i can't say it he got some of those um for those listening on on other platforms it starts with a y uh and ends with a s hopefully that helps an ips it starts with a y and <laughs> ends with an ips and ends with a rick and keel but you know (laughs) yeah yeah so there was a the i think the braves got a little bit desperate with what to do with them and i think we traded like mark kotze look at all this in-depth jerry knowledge what's going on i know i know see that i remember random stuff i don't remember my (laughs) own stuff but yeah we got him for super cheap and he was every bit the dominant reliever so aaron loop is in good company See, this is what happens when the Mets lose five in a row. We end up talking about random trades. <laughs> this is, these are the tangents. These are the <laughs> tangents we get on. I love that you guys tuned in for a Mets podcast, and we're talking about the 2008 A's. I'm sorry. This is just two <laughs> two buddies talking about uh, a baseball career. So sorry for that. Yeah, well, we'll hopefully have more exciting things to talk about in the realm of Mets baseball soon. But that'll do we'll it for this. It- you got to keep me, you got to keep me locked into Mets. Nah, I, man, I I'm tangent. always going to let you roll. I'm always going to let you roll. I appreciate that. <laughs> but that was the uh, 12th episode of Shea Station. We really appreciate you guys uh, tuning in for us. Keep your heads up, you know, enjoy the rest of the season. Just smile. You get to watch baseball, yada, 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 all that. Uh, and hopefully, you know, the Mets can put together a miracle or just give us some more exciting offseason gossip to look forward to. Uh, but until then, I'm Jolly Olive for John Boy Media. I'm Jerry Blevins. Let's keep those questions coming in. That's a fun segment. So please do. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Yeah, we appreciate it. Check us out on Twitter and Instagram. If you didn't see the post and leave us more questions, we love to talk with you guys and answer those, but we'll see you guys next time. And let's go. Strike three. A 
career high 15 strikeouts for Jacob DeGrom.